Well, we got to have some, some humor because we're getting ready to go into the darkness of Revelation 13. And uh, why are we studying through Revelation? Well, uh, it's, it's interesting um, to, to realize how dark it is. But I, I want you to think about this. When you study Revelation, you are receiving a blessing. He says, uh, if you read and they that hear and hear the words of this prophecy you get you get a special blessing and he actually says in our passage tonight he gives another little spot of blessing if you will and uh, in verse number 18 he says here is wisdom and we'll come back to that in a moment. But uh, I, want, I want to encourage you. That the point of studying through this is to recognize what God wants us to know in the book of Revelation. And it's also to realize that God has the worst possible time frame in the history of the world firmly under his control. This is not meant to freak you out, uh, to make you scared of black cats, it's not meant to get you to be skittish. It's for you to realize if you can go all the way to the very bottom of hell itself in the control of God, under the control and, and, and the divine protection of God, you are safe no matter where you go. So you don't have to worry. Allow this thing to, if you will, to be, uh, maybe it's a scary scene that you're seeing played out while you're sitting in the lap of your heavenly father. And maybe reach up and say, thank you, Lord, for protecting me. Okay? So I want to go back and do a quick review of last week, speaking of the false prophet. We saw the man that in verse 11, he comes up out of the earth and he has a lamb-like personality with the mouth of a dragon. We gave the a possible identity uh, as Judas Iscariot. You can take that and chew on it if you like. Then his evil ministry in verses 12 to 18. He exercises all the power of the beast who gets his power from, who can tell me? The beast gets his power from the dragon. Very good. Uh, it's very bad, actually, but you remember it. Very good. Uh, he deceives the whole world with miracles or through the means of miracles. He commands this image of the beast to be made and worshipped. And I want to show you this. Uh, the answer was right there in the text and I didn't see it. Remember last week we were talking about the possibility of this false prophet giving life unto the beach, uh, of the beach, the beast, and that it, he had the power to give this life and cause that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image. And I said the possibility is there that not only does he uh, cause the image to speak, but possibly causes the image to kill those who would not take the mark. But the answer is right there in the word both. The image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. So this is a, an automaton, if you want to call it the old school, uh, a, a moving image that has the power to kill people. And that's a, a scary thing. But notice this image, is, it's very similar to the image of Nebuchadnezzar that he sets up. And he wants all the world to bow down, all the kindreds and nations and so forth. And uh, if you want to be crazy, you know, you got 60 times 6 and then six, uh, 6 musical instruments that are mentioned in the passage there. And then the point is, if you will not bow down, he will put you to death. 
And, uh, you know, it's interesting. We'll see the, the progression tonight of how it works in sociology. You know, first of all, it starts out where the cool kids are doing something, and then pretty soon everybody's doing something, and then pretty soon you're not allowed to be around unless you do something. So it kind of, that progression is always there, uh, even in, you know, in elementary school, junior high, high school, and then uh, it continues on through the world. Somebody said, we don't know what um, the American public is going to do, but we do know they're going to do it together. And we certainly found that to be true um, in the pandemic. But notice, he says here, the, the whole world is, is deceived, the image is made and worshipped, the, the, the image is brought to life and gives it power. And then we came up to the next one, which is, he controls the world's food supply through the mark, the name, or the number of the beast. That's where we are tonight. Let's read verses 15 to 18. And he had power, this is the false prophet, he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak And caused that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. And that no man might buy or sell, save he he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred three score and six. Let's start by talking about the compulsion of the mark in verse 16. We have there this compulsion that says, He causeth all, both small and great. But notice that there are three connected but distinct options given And they give the illusion of choice. Because you see there in verse number 17, he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. So he's making everyone get one of those three things. It looks like there's some crossover between these things. For instance, um, you've got the mark, which is uh, re- corresponding to the spots of the leopard, which we see in, in 13.2. I think it says uh, 13.2 that he is, this beast is, the, uh, is, is a leopard, like a leopard. And then the name of the beast, and if you look over in chapter 14, look at verse 11, it says at the end, who worship the beast and his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. So there's some crossover there. You see that? The mark of his name. We think, what is the mark? What is the mark? Well, here it, it con- connects with the name. These are distinct options given, but they're connected in some way. So you have the mark, you have the name of the beast, and you have the number of his name. And you see that repeated in chapter 15, where it says... His, it says, uh, them that had gotten the victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name. So the number of his name. Uh, gematria, whatever you want to call it, uh, it's, 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 there's three distinct but connected options there. I want to show you something here that we'll spend a little time on that I feel is important to keep in mind because sometimes when, if you're a headlines Christian, you wake up in the morning and you try to find uh, something that proves the Bible's right. 
You know, God won one. Score one point for God. See how it lines up? The truth of the matter is the lost world needs to be keeping score as to whether they're lining up with the Bible rather than us worried about whether the Bible lines up with the world. Why? Because he said, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. And we have the true and perfect word of God. So you don't have to worry about, I wonder if the Bible's true. Now I really believe, um, you know, the whole Noah's Ark debacle. You know, there, and, and I understand it's interesting. Maybe it's a little bit of an onboard ramp. But how many of you have ever gone into something because it's like, oh, wow, that really proves it. And then you find out it wasn't true or it's hotly contested or debated, and now your faith is shaken. Why? Because my faith is not built on Noah's Ark and somewhere in the mountains of Turkey. My faith is on this book right here. And so if they find the Ark, number one, does it say the Ark on it? Right? I mean, who knows? Maybe there was some very powerful, giant people that built something in memorial. I don't know. So these are the types of things that you get into. You have to be careful. We're going to be careful here tonight, but I want to show you this uh, letter B. There's a good possibility that the mark will not be high tech. And I'm going to borrow some notes from Brother George. Antonio did, a, I think, a really good job on, on explaining this. But, but look at this from the standpoint, because we know the vaccine is the mark. Well, is it? Think about this. The mark of the beast, and by the way, I don't believe that it is. Just to, you know, not to leave you hanging. There's, there's a good possibility it won't be high tech. Why? The mark of the beast is enforced in the second half of the tribulation. And that's when the beast and the false prophet deceive the whole world. False prophet goes into the temple, reveals himself as the Antichrist, as, as, as God in in flesh, and he demands worship as God. Okay, so what do you have here? In that first half, you have the first, I, I wrote them down there for you, the first trumpet, which is hail, fire, and blood, destroys a third of the trees, and all the grass, which is going to impact the environment. It's going to impact the power grids. Um, second trumpet, burning mountain, cast into the sea, turns a third of the seas to blood, destroys a third of marine life, a third of ships. Uh, third trumpet, there's a burning star that falls on a third of the rivers, a third of the mountains. Fourth trumpet, a third of the sun, moon, and stars is darkened, which is going to affect the, uh, the satellites, which is going to affect GPS tracking, which is going to make it difficult to track people. Right? Uh, the fifth trumpet, demon hybrid locusts, the size of horses, are released from the bottomless pit. Sixth trumpet, four angels from the Euphrates River, release 200 million soldiers. And by the way, those guys go and prepare the way of the kings of the east so that the Euphrates dries up so that these soldiers can come. Well, think about that. Um, interesting. Because we don't need a dry place for our military to operate. We had the, you know, the greatest land invasion ever occurred was D-Day in 1946. We came over on boats and landing vehicles and we didn't need a dry place, right? Planes? And how many paratroopers came? That was 70-something years ago. And, and so there's, there's, these things have happened that have affected the world. Uh, and the seventh trumpet is where Satan casts the third of the angels down to earth, and he's very upset, and that's where the beast picks up. So by the time the mark is implemented, the world will have been destroyed by the judgment of God. It will have uh, a lot of stuff happens. A lot of stuff.
So I want you to think about this. The real precursor to the mark of the beast is not the latest news cycle. The real precursor is the first half of the tribulation. And there's got to be something that he has to implement. Now, you see, we talk about the mark of the beast. And again, when you start from the Bible, then you don't, you don't get stuck trying to fit the barcode into the Bible. Right? Because the barcode was really bad when it came out. Remember? And now, well, you say, well, it's just, you know, like frogs um, getting used to the, the, the temperature being turned up, which is another urban legend. Frogs don't actually sit there and get boiled to death. It's just interesting how we take these things on and like, oh, yeah, that's, that's probably it. Now, you start from the Bible. Because here's the thing. You may not know everything, but if you know what he said, you know all that you need to know. Everything else can just fit in, right? I'm not feeding everybody in Toledo, but I'm feeding my family. Priorities, right? I want to learn what he said, and then if everybody says, have you seen this, that, and the other? No, we'll, we'll see if there's room at the table. There may or may not be. A lot of times we get freaked out because people speak very definitively and wild-eyed on YouTube, and now we're freaked out of our brain because... What did he say? Go back to what he said, and then check your work. (laughs) Hey, I was was, uh, homeschooled, man. I learned how to check my work. I didn't have somebody grading tests for me. I was grading mountain tests, amen, with my mom standing with a rod in the background. So here's, here's another thought. The end times battles speak of chariots made of wood, horses, uh, of wood, horses, bucklers, shields, swords, spears, and hand staves. Those are all mentioned. You say, well, that's, that, that's all a type. Well, I don't know about that. You know, in 1946, at the Bikini Atoll, where they were testing the nuclear bomb, there, were, there was a, a, a reporter, Joe Layton, who was there, and he wrote that a bunch of reporters were asking this army lieutenant about what weapons would be used in the next war. Because of, wow, you know, look at this bomb going off. And I don't think they were there, but they had an opportunity to see it. I'm not sure about that detail. And they were amazed at the power, obviously, of this bomb. And, and you know what he said? He said, I don't know what's going to be in the next war. And just kind of uh, paraphrasing him, he said, but in the war after the next war, they're going to be using spears. In other words, everything is going to be destroyed. So you're going to have to start from scratch. I mean, the idea of electromagnetic pulse could destroy all of our so, you know, weapons that we hold so dear. Um, take your Bible, go to Ezekiel 39. Ezekiel 39. Look at verse 9 where he says, And they that dwell in the cities of Israel shall go forth and shall set on fire and burn the weapons, both the shields and the bucklers, the bows and the arrows and the handstaves and the spears, and they shall burn them with fire seven years. So that they shall take no wood out of the field, neither cut down any out of the forest, for they shall burn the weapons with fire. They're using the weapons in place of wood. I don't know, I don't think they're burning tungsten or Kevlar in their homes. 
I, I don't know the average family is going to be able to take this huge metal plated tank and break it down and bring it in and use it for warmth and for, for cooking. But that's the indication that that's what they would do. Uh, the Bible says that those, all those birds after Armageddon in Revelation, I put the, note, uh, the, the reference for you, it says they shall eat the flesh of kings and of captains of mighty men and the flesh of horses. They're going to eat the flesh of horses. W- wouldn't it be just like humans to think that we have everything figured out? We're going up, 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 and then we reset back to the beginning? Wouldn't that be like mankind? Right. Well, it's amazing. I mean, you think about it. Why? Mankind always, we're the, uh, we're the best, we're the greatest, we're, you know, Apollo 13, we're going uh, up, 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 and then scrap the whole thing. We haven't been back to the moon in 60 years or whatever. But now Elon Musk is going to fix it all. And he's going to climb, 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 climb. It's, mankind has always said, let's build us a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. We're, we're going to fix this thing. We're going to get out of this. And by the way, Elon Musk, who's driving innovation in America, his stated goal is to get to Mars so that we can get civilization off of, a, of this planet and go to Mars. That's stupid. He's the billionaire. He's the guy that's doing Tesla, and he's doing Neuralink, and he's doing, you know, there's, and Jeff Bezos, Amazon. He's got his own rocket company that he's trying to get out of here. They're a little bit behind. But uh, it's just amazing. Mankind has this idea that we're going to get better and better and better. And then we always reset. And so I think there's a good possibility that's what's going to happen. Um, look at Zechariah while you're in the Old Testament. Go over to your right. Over to your right, almost to Matthew. You're going to find the book of Zechariah. And look at verse, chapter 14. Now, we've seen this because this certainly seems to indicate a nuclear blast. Why? Because we've seen the effects of a nuclear blast. But may I remind you, it's called a plague in verse 12, 14, 12. This shall be the plague wherewith the Lord will smite all the people that have fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall consume away while they stand upon their feet. And that certainly seems to fit. But notice verse 15, and so shall be the plague of the horse. Well, if the horse is talking about motorcycles, well, then what's, what's the mule? What's the camel? Oh, we know what the camel is. That's one of those AT-ATs from Star Wars. That's got to be what that is. And of the ass and of all the beasts that shall be in these tents. What? <laughs> tents? What are we doing in tents? Right? So it kind of goes back in there. Um, I'll give you an example, maybe just to chew on. There was a thing called Millennium Challenge 2002. Uh, it was a major uh, U.S. military exercise that was conducted against the Red Forces and the Blue. And the, the U.S. was the Blue Force, and the Red Force was some fictional, fictional Persian state, Persian Gulf state. Um, you know, we don't know who that could be. But uh, it cost $250 million. They, they did live exercises and computer simulations. They were trying to test the capabilities of the military in the future. So they had this guy, that Red Force, who was led by a, 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 a Lieutenant General Paul Van Riper. And he used tactics like motorcycle messengers and World War II-style light signals to evade the other team's electronic surveillance. He took speedboats and he put... 
uh, missiles on the speedboats. Now, obviously, these are war games. It's not they're actually firing and killing people and everything. But he put it on speedboats, and 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 he said. He, he just, you know, sent them all out there. Some were conventional, some were like suicide missions, and he launched all the missiles at one time and overwhelmed the electronic defense mechanisms that they had to, to shoot down the different missiles. And what happened was the red team, the U.S. force, ended up losing 16 warships, an aircraft carrier, 10 cruisers, and five out of six amphibious ships, representing over 20,000 personnel dying. Now, they didn't, you understand, this is a game, but that's what happened in the war games. So what did they do? They suspended the, the exercise, and they restarted it with new rules. You can't do that anymore. And so Van Riper said, I'm done. He quit. He said, you rigged the game so that the U.S. would win. I beat you. What does that mean? Sophisticated weapons technology lost to light signals, motorcycles, and speedboats. Uh, what, what does it say? He says, um, pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Isn't that what happened in 9-11? We weren't overcome by a military. We were overcome by people with a vision, with a mission to hurt people. And no, I don't believe it was an inside job. Sorry, that's, yeah. Sorry to ruin, if, you know, maybe you liked me up until that point, but... Um, Okay, so, so just, the, just this idea that man, we know, man is always going to get better and better and better and better. Is it just me, or have we been hearing about malaria in the United States recently? That's supposed to be, from a, that's supposed to be a developing country disease, right? And you, I mean, some of you, you could think of other diseases that are cropping back up. What does it mean? It doesn't mean the whole world is, no, it means we never were as good as we thought we were. Maybe the blessing of God kept some of these things off of us. But people are still in, in, in mortal combat. They're still dying. They're still hurting. And, and we're not doing as great as we think. We think, well, I'm doing so great. I'm tired of being held by God. I want, let me down. I can do it myself. Be careful. We've got to be careful as, as, as Americans, for one. Uh, we're, we're not as great as we think we are. And, you know, in, 19, uh, in the 50s, when we were in Korea, they were telling MacArthur, they were telling, we are going to be overwhelmed by the Chinese. And he said, no. He said, no. He said, no. Is it MacArthur I'm thinking of? Who was there in, in Korea? He said, no. You know what happened is, they said that it became uh, uncool to tell the commander anything that he didn't want to hear. Because he's such a great general. And so what happened? Well, he believed a lie, but he intentionally, he willingly believed it. He did not want to hear anything to the contrary. And so the Chinese came and took care of business. And now we have North and South Korea. But uh, that's, a, that's another uh, thing. Um, now, I want to I point this out because a lot of folks will say, well, if you look back there in Revelation chapter 13, look where it says in verse 16. He causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand. Which we, has to mean an, an injection. Well, how would we know for sure how that, what God meant by that term, in their hand? Well, we could look at the scripture. Genesis 43, 15 
speaking of the brothers of Joseph, the men took that present and they took double money in their hand and Benjamin and rose up. Genesis 22, 6, Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac, his son, and he took the fire in his hand. You follow what I'm saying? Just look up the, the phrase, in their hand, in his hand, in her hand, and you'll see. It's talking about carrying something or having something in your hand. It's not talking about being an inside the hand. You know, the, the Bible says that uh, they, they had to get rid of the idols that were in their hand. Well, I mean, you could make a metaphorical connection. You know, the, the gold that they had. See, it's like the market's already in there. Can't buy or sell. Like, okay, okay. We got we to, you know, sometimes it's okay to just be normal and logical about the Bible. And that's what it, that's what it says. Are we going too deep here tonight? Everybody okay? Um, so let's, let's talk next about letter C. Why in the right hand or forehead? Now, we looked at this last week. Let's do it one more time. Zechariah, since we're there, or we were there. Zechariah, look, look at verse number 11. I'm sorry, chapter 11, verse 17. Zechariah eleven seventeen, He says, Woe to the idle shepherd, the idle as in a false image shepherd that leaveth the flock, not the, not the good shepherd that guards the flock, it says, the sword shall be upon his arm and upon his right eye. His arm shall be clean, dried up, and his right eye shall be utterly darkened. That matches Revelation chapter 13, where it says this, this beast had the wound by a sword and did live. All right, so what's the idea? If you will, someone comes after him with a sword, and he apparently, he holds up his right hand, to block this sword thrust and cuts his hand off or cuts his arm off. It doesn't say his arm is cut off, but cuts his hand and cuts his eye and causes this, this wound. That would make sense. That's just, the, that's just one idea. And it seems to, seems to pull together. And so apparently the beast is attacked with a sword. He throws up his right hand and protects himself, receiving wounds in his right arm, right eye. And what it, now this mark that a person receives says to the world, I belong to the Antichrist. Just like when he got hurt, I, I identify with him. And so the right hand means you're identifying with the, the wound in his arm. The, the right eye, or the forehead rather, would, would identify with the, uh, with the right eye. Which would make sense, because remember, the Lord said, If thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. If thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee. There seems to be a connection there. And the other, in other words, if you take the mark of the beast in your right hand, the only way out is to cut off your right hand. Uh, or in your eye, cut off your right eye, so forth. I don't know for sure, but there seems to be a connection there. Uh, number two, it is a satanic counterfeit of God's name in the forehead of his followers. Now, here's where you don't hear anybody talking about the mark of the Father, the mark of the Father's name. But look at, look at Revelation chapter 22. You're going back there... Um, 
while you're going to Revelation, just look at chapter 3 first and in 22. We've got two passages. Chapter 3 says in verse 12, Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. Well, where is that name going to be written? Go to chapter 22. Chapter 22, verse 4. And they shall see his face, speaking of the Father, and his name shall be where? In their foreheads. Does that scare you? That doesn't scare me. God's name in my forehead? Isn't it weird how the things of the devil are so much more real to us? Could that be that our old nature loves darkness rather than light? And it gravitates towards things that hurt it? Why do we have habits that hurt us? Because that old nature is connected with Satan. We do things that we know are bad for us. And we can't, can't get out of it. I'm just telling you, be, if you're going to give the devil that much credence, at least give God the favor of saying, he writes his name in their foreheads. It must be okay. Right? It's all about ownership. It's what it's about. It's about ownership. Look at chapter 17. There's a lot of this in Revelation. A lot of people writing stuff down on their forehead. Here's Mystery Babylon. Look at what it says, chapter 17, verse 5. And I had a thought while I was studying, and if you know the answer, come and tell me. I'm trying to think of when, when the Bible uses all caps, and uh, I'm trying to think of the, the one before this, and I can't think of anything other than Acts 17, where the altar says, the inscription says, to the unknown God. And then before that, this is just for some of you people that like to do crazy Bible studies. Before that, the only thing I can think of is the uh, inscription, superscription over Jesus on the cross. This is Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. And, and that would be an interesting tie in here because just the, the bold, all caps letters, all caps words, just interesting side note. Okay, back to, back to our study. Uh, notice verse 17, chapter 17, verse 5, upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. So here we have a woman with this, and, and this is, uh, we'll get to that when we get to that. Let me tell you, number three, there's a possible connection with the wounds of Christ. And, and that comes from Catholic theology. Have you heard of the stigmata? And the idea is that certain people like St. Francis of Assisi, uh, Padre, uh, Padre Pia in Italy, they just spontaneously started bleeding from in the same areas that Christ received wounds. Hands, feet, sometimes in the forehead, and, and, uh, and so forth. Places where Christ um, was wounded. The idea is they are holy because they are identified, literally are bleeding. That's, that's the height. That's one of the reasons why you've got to be very careful with the Catholic religion. Because it's everything that you want it to be. But when you're talking about a person bleeding like Christ did, it's basically saying that I am also suffering the way Christ suffered. And there is a truth for that, or a truth in that. There's a truth in that, in that uh, we're called to suffering, but we're not called to suffer for our sins 
we're called to suffer because we follow Christ. And there's a distinction that's made there. You've got to make sure you keep that. Um, because, but Paul did say, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus in Galatians chapter 6. But um, there, there's a, maybe a connection that could be made in the future. Could it be that, oh, this, this is Christ. This is, there are many antichrists. And this particular antichrist is, look at him, he's bleeding from his head and he's bleeding from his hands just like Jesus. And, and so he is the one that we should worship and follow and so forth. All right, let's move on. Very quickly on Roman numeral 2, the control of commerce. You know what this means. He says that no man may buy or sell. So he locks down commerce as far as normal going to the grocery store. Uh, you can't get a business license. You can't sell anything legally. Now, there's bartering that's going to go on. And there are people that are going to make it through without getting the mark that are not saved. We talked about that last week. But notice the double ownership. It's ownership of the person and ownership of the person's possessions. I own you. The mark is about ownership. And, uh, and willing, willing ownership. I don't think that it's going to be hard for people to take the mark, but there's going to be some, uh, if it's true that, that the world is completely destroyed at this time, then it's not going to be as easy as, you know, accept the terms of agreement on your computer. It's going to be something that is, is going to be physical. It's going to be out in the open and the public and so forth. Let's talk about the counting. Now, we're going we're gonna to dive deep on this. I don't like to normally go do crazy stuff, but we're going to do some crazy stuff tonight. Okay? Are you ready for this? Hey, it's the mark of the beast, for crying out loud. If we can't do crazy stuff in Revelation 13, when will we do it? We're going to do it here. In, in popular culture, the number 666 is, is very, <laughs> very popular. Uh, why? Because of the power of darkness. That's what it is. But, but Aleister Crowley, remember he, he changed his name. He was born Edward Alexander Crowley. And he changed his name because he wanted to get what's called gematria or gematria. Uh, one, A equals one, B equals two, C equals three, and so forth, right? So he, he, he wanted to be able to say that the numerical value of his name equaled 666. So he changed it. And what he, what he wanted some satanic power, and so obviously we're talking about it tonight, so in some ways it worked, okay? <laughs> he got what he wanted. But it's just, it's just crazy. It's, it's, uh, did you know that when the Apple I came out in, in 1976, the, the, say, the, the idea is, that the truth is, it was sold for $666.66. That was true. But there's some question and possibility that Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak, they chose that number because they wanted to make waves. And, and you could say, oh, you know, you got the apple in the garden, you got the apple of Isaac Newton, and you got the apple of the computer age that brings in the market. I don't know. I don't think so. But you think about it. It does work if everybody thinks that's what it is. So they sold a whole bunch of them. And obviously, it was a good machine. That's the main reason why they sold so many. But they were trying to create some buzz. And, you know, Steve Jobs was all about drama and being out in front of people and all kind of stuff. So interesting. Um, carbon itself. We're, we're carbon-based life forms. And, they, you know, it's typically... Uh, it's that we carbon has six protons, six neutrons, six electrons. We are six, six, six walking around. You know, you can go down that rabbit hole if you want to, but that's a joke, by the way, people. That's a joke. 
Okay, but these are the kind of stuff you can add. I mean, you can get into Nero, Caesar, Hitler, start adding up. You can make stuff work if you just keep pushing it and twisting it. But, uh, it, you know, some of it is interesting. I will, I will agree with that. Let me take you to the scripture, and I want you to look at uh, the three places in the Bible that this number, 666, is used. We saw the one there in Revelation 13, um, the number of the beast, and the Lord calls it wisdom to count the number of the beast. So I think it's okay for us to go down this rabbit hole a little bit tonight. Go to 2 Chronicles 9, verse 13. And this is where we find the gold of a world ruler being counted. 2 Chronicles 9, 13. Now the weight of the gold that came to Solomon in one year was 603 score and six talents of gold. All right. Now, now go to Ecclesiastes. Who wrote Ecclesiastes? Anybody know? Solomon. He wrote Ecclesiastes 7, which happens to be the 666th chapter of the Bible. Verse 25. I applied my heart to know and to search and to seek out wisdom and the reason of things. Remember, he said this is wisdom. And to know the wickedness of folly, even of foolishness and madness. And I find more bitter than death the woman whose heart is snares and nets and her hands as bands. Whoso pleaseth God shall escape from her, but the sinner shall be taken by her. Can you think of any woman from which people are trying to escape in the book of Revelation? The mother of harlots, chapter 17. Then he says in verse 27, Behold... Just by happenstance, that's the 666th mention of the word behold. This have I found, saith the preacher. Who's the preacher? Solomon's the preacher. Counting one by one to find out the account. Remember he said, let him count the number of the beast. Interesting connection. Now, the third, the third connection is in Ezra. Ezra chapter 2. Go back to Psalms and go left. Ezra chapter 2. Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther. All right, and here in this list, out of the blue, we find chapter 2, verse 13, the children of Adonikam, 666. Children of Adonikam. His name means the Lord of the Rebellion. Now, I don't know all anything else about Adonikam but that. You can go and check out more if you want. At the end of the day, what does it equal? It equals that there's a real devil, and he's really scary, and God's a whole lot bigger than him. That's really what it comes down to. But isn't it interesting that sometimes we find ourselves more intrigued by the dark stuff than we do the light? We ought to be more interested in the light. We ought to be more fired up about Jesus than we are about the Antichrist and the devil. But tonight, we're giving him a little bit of space because we want to show in the scripture, there's some connections there. If you were to take, uh, there's a book that I was turned on to recently, it's, it, and I haven't read the whole thing, but it's very interesting. It's called Sealed by the King, and it's uh, a guy named Brandon Peterson. He does a lot of these searches. You can do the searches for yourself on your own Bible um, uh, concordance, if you like. But if you look up the word Solomon or Solomon's, 
plus the words 600 plus three score plus six, you have a total of 666 mentions in the Bible. If you look up Solomon plus Adonikam plus beast plus 600 plus three score plus six, you have 666 verses. You say, this is crazy. It, it, is, it is crazy. But like I said, we're in Revelation 13. Uh, Solomon plus Adonikam plus beast plus six, 666 mentions. Notice the one was 666 verses. This one is mentions. Um, the word wisdom, understanding, plus the phrase the number, plus beast or beasts, 666. Uh, Mark plus sin plus beast or beast. There are 666 mentions. Mark plus sin plus number or numbers, 666 mentions. What does that mean? Well, we, we know, we know 606. I mean, you can, like I said, you can twist it, you can push it, you can force it in some ways. But I, I thought these were kind of interesting anyhow. Um, in 2 Samuel 15, verse 4, you have a verse about Absalom, and he is a type of the false prophet. He, he wants to get to the throne, and he ascends to the throne by deceiving hearts. The hearts of the men of who? Of Israel. And he climbs the ranks by deception, and he wants everyone to, to follow him. And in 2 Samuel 15, 4, Absalom said, moreover, Oh, that I were made judge in the land, that every man which hath any suit or cause might come unto me, and I would do him justice. And that is the 666th mention of the word man in the Bible. Um, Matthew 20, verse 18, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be betrayed unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death. That's the 666th verse in the New Testament. And um, then you have the 666th verse in the book of 2 Kings. Now again, this doesn't work for every place, everywhere you go. It doesn't. I'm not saying that it does. But when you find these things, they are interesting. Um, It's talking about Pharaoh Necho making Eliakim, the son of Josiah, king. And he changes his name to Jehoiakim, which is the first mention of that. And, and, And that... Uh, is the 666th verse in 2 Kings. Now, why does that matter? Well, the only reason why is because you have here Pharaoh. Pharaoh is called the great dragon. And specifically the Pharaoh, Pharaoh Necho, there in Ezekiel um, chapter 29. He's called the great dragon. You know who else is called the great dragon? Satan. He's called the great dragon. And what does the great dragon do? The great dragon uh, in the Old Testament, Pharaoh installs this, this ruler over Israel. What do you find in Revelation chapter 13? You find the great red dragon gives his power to the beast and installs. They're both called. It's just, you know, what does it mean? I don't, I don't know. There it is. Like, like Dr. Ruckman used to say, there it is. There it is. All right. Very interesting stuff. And uh, you know what that, that proves? One thing that it proves is that there's more to the Bible than you thought. Sometimes we think we know it all, and we don't. The other thing is this. God will give you some things to, that are interesting to you. But if you make it your job to now find all the connections and bypass God, you're missing the whole point. He wants you to know him, and he will give you enough to say, I'm real, I'm here, trust me. But he wants you to trust him 
And uh, you can't live your life on chasing rabbit holes. You really can't. Chasing rabbits into the hole. But we're going to close tonight back in, uh, I want you to take your Bibles, if you would, go to Second, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 as we close. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And I want to just give you a little bit of a, of a reminder here. The mark means ownership. You can't do anything unless I let you do it, is what the beast wants to say. And the false prophet encourages that. Um, The mark of the beast is a stamp of ownership upon the person that worships this idolatrous image. Whoever takes the mark will be conformed to the image of the beast. The Christian today, we're not going to be here during this time. We're going to be out of here. We're going to be with Jesus. But there is a connection. Because the Christian is owned by God And should yield to the Holy Spirit, whom the false prophet is a type of. We should yield to the Holy Spirit as he works to conform us to the image of Christ. He wants us to look like Jesus Christ. So what what does that mean? Well, that doesn't mean we get a, a big long robe and carry a cross with a wheel on it around town, right? That's not what he's talking about. What is he talking about? Here's what he's talking about. So 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. For ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You know the reason why Revelation 13 is so dark? Because we don't trust the beast and the false prophet. We don't trust that they have our best interests at heart. They're going to hurt us, and we know it. If we were here, if we were here, and believers will not be, if we were here, we know that he would hurt us. Why? Well, because we know absolute power corrupts absolutely. And so we think, man, I don't want anything to do with that ownership. Anyone that tries to control me, anything that tries to tell me what to do is dangerous. Why is it dangerous? It's only dangerous if it's a human. Remember, this is the number of a man. You give that man ownership and control in your life, you better watch out. Because he's going to conform you. By the way, anyone that you give that control to is going to try to conform you to his or her image. And the beast is certainly going to do that through the false prophet. But did you realize that the principle of ownership is no less for a believer? You know the difference between following God and following this image, the beast, and the false prophet? The difference is right now, you're, if you're a Christian, you are owned by God right now. And you might be living in rebellion to him. He's not going to grab you and kill you if you don't take his mark. Now, if you, go to, if you die without Jesus Christ, you will go to hell. But he died to prevent you from that. So, you know how good of a God we have? We don't even remember that we're owned by God. We don't even live like we're owned by God many times. And God is merciful and gracious. The beast is a brat. He throws a fit 
and he says, you'll do what I say or you'll die. You'll starve to death. I'll watch you starve to death. And, and, and look at the contrast of our God, how good and long-suffering he is in our lives. Even this week, how merciful he has been to us. You couldn't pick a better God. <laughs> he says, you're owned by me. Therefore, because I own you, glorify me in your body and in your spirit. Well, I'm not, I'm not going to listen to anything. God, you know what? God will let you be a brat. God will let you throw a fit. He'll let you live your life to please your flesh. And you know what he'll do? He'll love you and he'll call you back to the truth. And he may chasten you. You know what the weird thing is? Sometimes God chastens people even more because they're following him. If you're not following God, he says, go do your thing. The consequences of sin will get you. I don't even have to put a hand on you. It's, 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 it's a different God that we're dealing with who loves you and wants to help you. And he, if you're his child, he owns you. Well, nobody can tell me I don't have to do that. I don't have to listen to I don't blah, 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 blah. Listen, you are not your own. I am not my own. You can just relax in his ownership. He's not going to... You say, well, some Christian told me I had to do A, B, and C, and that was not... I don't have to do... Okay. Yeah. But don't you want to do what God wants you to do? Don't you want to follow a God who will let you throw a fit and keep loving you? That's a good God. You say, well, I, I, I'm, I'm trying to do my best to please him. Be careful that you're not trying to earn your salvation as a believer as well. Be careful about that. Nothing you ever did gets you to heaven. Nothing you'll ever do is going to keep you going to heaven. It's only by his mercy and his love. And now that we've established the fact that you can never run outside of his love and mercy, you can trust him implicitly. If you can trust him with your eternal soul, maybe you can trust him with the decision you're making right now. Trust him with your home, your marriage, I don't have a problem trusting God. It's him I have a problem with. Maybe God wants you to learn to trust him through, right? Maybe God wants you to learn to trust him through this difficult circumstance. And you're afraid to death. You're scared. You're, you're so tense and nervous that God's going to hurt you. If God wanted to hurt you, he could hurt you. He's not afraid of, of making an action. You're not preventing him from doing what he feels is right. You know what's happening? You're tensing up and being afraid of a loving God who wants to guide you and help you even through difficult times. The beast, the beast wants you to force, to force you down on your knees to worship him. Nope. God is like, he's like that sunbeam. That no matter how hard the wind blows, you grab that jacket and you hold on tighter to it. Nothing's going to keep me from... But God's just that sunbeam that keeps coming down. And after a while, he said, man, you can start taking off that junk in your life. You can start releasing your fears and your anxiety. He cares about you. He loves you. And I'm so glad that our God knows the beast. And he has, as it were, he has the beast marked. And he knows what he's going to do, and he's got him on a short chain. And I would encourage you, if you don't know Jesus Christ, you don't want to be around for that nasty world leader. I, I suggest worshiping Jesus Christ.
the God who died for you and loves you more than anyone ever has. I want to take your attention to the prayer list tonight.